Yeah, where I live. Whoa. Yeah, wait, what? Nah. Oh. <laughs> uh. What? Hey, the fuck do we know in Venezuela? <laughs> Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I am Andrew. Ah, uh, let's jump into it. How you doing, boy? Good, good, good. Busy? Yes. Yep. Not I feel busy, like not busy enough to I feel like at this say point anything. in my good, life. Good, 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 good. No, I'm uh, like I'm tired and sick, and I reckon I've been that way for about three or four years now. Oh, it's oh just, God. you know what I mean? I feel like I've reached the stage where... That stage like, is it, your 30s, maybe man. Maybe this is <laughs> it. Yeah, I'm 25. Like, it's not even... Fuck I can't me. even just be like, oh, yeah, I'm starting to wake up. Oh, I'm old. It's like, I don't know, is this... It's all downhill from here, huh? Everyone would tell you to shut the fuck up if you're just 25 being like, I'm old now. Yeah, no, and I hate <laughs> people that do that. <laughs> Two fucking millennials. I'm just wondering, like, yeah... Do you just have to deal with this, like, tiredness for the rest of your life? Is that what it feels like? I'm, I think so. I'm keen to well, here podcasts, keen to see if it goes away. People that are 40 being like, nah, yeah, it's just my body's just failing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like exhausted. My bones are starting to separate. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's real bad. No, yeah, you're listening to podcasts hosted by Roast Chicken, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> that reference is completely lost on me. Bones separating and shit. I don't know. It's not a perfect oh. joke. <laughs> The joke is, you're a food. <laughs> <laughs> We're still in the warm-up phase of the show. <laughs> That's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> Should we get into it? Hitting it with the news first? Yeah, let's do it. There we go. Beef bulletin. I was watching to see if the mic peaked during that was the most exciting thing that's happened to me all day. Watching to see that the mic absolutely peaked during that. Actually, it was only during the boom, 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 boom that it peaked. How's this, Chad? <laughs> start with a couple trailers. That's all right. <laughs> start with a couple trailers. First, we'll, we'll wait for the live feedback to we'll come in. start with a couple of trailers. <laughs> First off this week. Just turn um, your mic down to zero, <laughs> to zero. <game. laughs> um, Your laugh just peaked it. You'll stop fucking with the audio mid-recording. Jesus. Hey, I'm prototyping the sound. We're not recording rumors here, mate. We're recording a dumb podcast. <laughs> Just leave it. I like my podcast to be Lynchian. <laughs> All right, what trailers have we got? Uh, this week, biggest trailers that came out were, of course, the new Joker films. What about starring... the most popular ones rather than the ones that were largest in scale? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I could unsubscribe from this show myself. <laughs> And never have to sit through it. Yeah. If I could just release this podcast every week without having to hear a single moment of the audio, I would be happy mm. and I would die happy. I'm trying my best, but it's not working very well. So, <laughs> The Joker film. Yes. Uh, starring yeah, Walking Phoenix has had its first trailer released. Looks very cool. Um, it kind of, from from the, I mean, maybe not, but I'm kind of hoping that it will be. So maybe I was just projecting this on it while I was watching the trailer. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of hoping it's like you were never really here, but with the Joker. 
Um, it, looks the, really cool. I, so I watched the... I, I think I might have found a way around my hatred of trailers. I watched this without sound, and mm. it was a really good way to see like what the tone of the film was going to be, Yeah. but without kind of hearing any of the exposition or the storyline or whatever, you sort of don't really know what's going on. So based on the visuals alone, it did have that really kind of disjointed, <laughs> weird, haunted kind of vibe. Oh, like you, he, you didn't you didn't hear the voice that Walking Phoenix was doing the whole time. He's doing the whole he's doing the whole Joker doing voice, Bane doing voice. inward breathing the whole time. Like, <laughs> oh, I got these guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's really annoying, man. <laughs> oh, it's the Batman. <laughs> okay, we're gonna do all your audio in post, but just one difference: only breathe in. <laughs> He's a method actor. He'd be in the lunchtime being like, yeah, this one flat white things. Yeah, the whole time he was on set. Oh, God, I got a headache. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got to stop. You're a a method podcaster. (laughs) So the only red flag here is that the dude who's directing this Joker film, this looks like a real like art house film. Yeah. Um, The dude that's directing this has previously uh, written and directed the Hangover movies. Oh. He wrote Borat. (laughs) Hell yeah. What a fucking change of pace! <laughs> and a nineteen ninety shit, and a nineteen ninety eight film called Frat House. Fuck yeah! The only HBO documentary to be banned from broadcast. <laughs> so, which, if I'm reading this correctly, uh, uh, is the subtext on the theatrical poster? <laughs> Jesus uh, Christ! So, I mean, I don't know this dude. It's not as if he's got a long list of other arty kind of films. But um, I will say, so I think I only watched the first Hangover movie. I didn't go in on any of the others. He, oh, he it also was... he also produced Project X. Now that was an was that an Abrams film? J J Abrams? No, it was that party movie. You'll know. Yeah, it if yeah, you yeah. But who directed it? Uh, oh, some 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 fuck what you've never heard of. Oh, maybe yeah. it was produced by J J Abrams or some weird. Yeah, shit. no. Um, well, you were gonna say the Hangover movies. I've never actually just, seen that. Apparently, the first one's actually pretty good. Yeah, and the, yeah. And, and like the direction. Uh, so the I'm sure that the comedy writing is is like pretty dated, and it's very um, it's it's very Zach Galifianakis. Dave Anthony of Dollop fame loves to hate the Hangover movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's a there's a scene in the opening of whichever one it is where there's like a giraffe as the passenger in the back of a truck or a convertible or yeah. whatever, and the joke is they go under a low bridge and the giraffe gets decapitated. Yeah. <laughs> so Fucking like hilarious. By two or three, it's starting to lose its boyish It'd be charm. funny if we killed animals, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that must be the third one because I don't... You the know, second you one know, was mostly just like Mike Tyson. Yeah, no, I've never seen them. Anyway, the direction... Uh, Humor aside, I think the direction was probably reasonably strong. And I'll go out on a limb here and say, I think comedy directing can be really challenging. So, like, yeah, I mean, in, in the same way that comedy writing is is really challenging. I think another so, problem is that like comedy is often a lot more subjective than action is. Mm. If that makes sense. Like, yeah, in you a way. can have like I think a good it's action easy for movie. Dumb people to understand action. So. <laughs> no, I feel like I feel like most people will enjoy a good action movie. Yeah, but if you have a good comedy movie, most you can easily have a 50-50 split with like a good comedy movie. Like, yeah. yeah, almost like a perfect bell curve that fits, you know, intelligence distributions. No, no, <laughs> I don't know, no. 
They're yeah. movies, not graphs. What Do are you, you talking about? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, next trailer that I'm excited for is a brand new sort of comedy action film called Stuba, which is One a Stuba, <laughs> as in an Uber driver named Stu. Oh. <laughs> well, nothing sells me on a movie more than the entire title being a portmanteau. <laughs> oh man, I feel like I feel like Stuba is the new is is like a it's the modern day like Schwarzenegger DeVito twins. Yeah, <laughs> just like, like Stuba, a movie made that exists in in the world entirely that the actors are also in. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh my god, th- this director also <laughs> also directed a movie in two thousand and two called Fuba. <laughs> it's a bit of a one trick pony, this guy. I think <laughs> um, this film is a Kamel Nanjiani and oh my god, what's his name? It's gone. The name of the actor is Dave Batista. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Um, wow. Kamel Nanjiani, Dave Batista. It's almost like a buddy cop movie where the cop, um, Dave Batista, this big muscly cop dude, um, has just come out from like LASIK surgery. And so he can't drive, and so right. he's like begrudgingly has to like learn what Uber is and get Ubers to all of his crime scenes around the city. Right, Camille okay. Nanjiani, I suppose depressingly typecastingly, is the Uber Plays driver. An Uber driver, yeah. yeah. Um, looks really great. Though. I fucking love that Camille Nanjiani is going from strength to strength. Um, Has he got anything to do with the writing of this movie? I don't think so. No, the writer yeah. is someone named Tripper Clancy, who has well. only ever written. Uh, in re- in recent times, um, a screenplay called Hot Dog. What's that so, about? No, who cares? I don't care. Yeah. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> I'm not going to stoop to the well, low of reading out IMDb on the show. That's where I draw the line. Um, that looks exciting. So that's called Stuba. That comes out at some point. Mm-hmm. Third one, third trailer that came out recently. That's <laughs> of note is the trailer, first full trailer for the Lion King live action film. Yep. And say what you want about live action reboots. Uh, but the animation looks amazing. Yeah. Like, it looks like a real I fucking don't line. Care. Yeah, no, it's going to look like real it. life. I don't give a fuck. No, I'll watch it. it, it it's going to be completely devoid. I saw a comparison of um, uh, that the, the bit in the, in the live action film, or the bit in both films actually, where they're yeah. walking... Um, Simba and Timon and Pumbaa are walking along on a, like, on a log with the giant... Like, yeah, when like, Simba's them. aging and all that. Yeah. And in the animated one they're sort of like walking in in rhythm with the music yeah, bobbing yeah. their heads and stuff and in the animated one they're, they're literally just like walking and there's no energy or, swishing or, away flies yeah no it's yeah it's just like basically just them walking one behind each other stop and kneel and to grass tights and stuff to be like actually lions wouldn't be able to be capable yeah, of this kind of balance and dexterity like, on a log this is it's it's there's nothing in this. It's just like yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's a soulless recreation. I'm going to reserve judgment the until the actual film comes out because I mean the trailer. I mean, if your criticism is like they didn't capture the beat, it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the trailer's edited weirdly. I agree with you that obviously animation, yeah. like the real animated Disney hand drawn faces, they're not. They don't look for like photorealistic I animals, think so they can make them look all more of like the human tone faces. And the love, yeah. yeah. It's just th- this movie. But to some degree, like the Jungle Book animated animals, sorry, um, they give those animals a certain amount of facial features that have to be a lot more subtle. So yeah. there's an interesting art to how um, the uh, characters are designed in these live-action, photorealistic kind of Disney films. Because, for example, they had to work out, like, how can we believably 
Like the animals in real life don't have the eyebrows you need to have like yeah, facial yeah, yeah. features, yeah. facial emotions and that. Some so they had to like work out how eyebrows. to give yeah. <laughs> they had to work out how to give these jungle creatures eyebrows, for example, yeah. in order to properly emote. Uh, and so there are interesting little ways in which they can like make the characters more human. So I'd be interested to see how they go because yeah. I love the original Lion King film. Anyway, those are the trailers. Yeah, it just feels to me like I don't know. There's this rhetoric that gets thrown around in in sort of script writing circles where people sort of say you have to have such passion for your idea that if you're not bursting to tell this story then you won't succeed yeah and, and it's like who gives a fuck about a live action lion king it's film? the same story it's the same story it's not even it's not a yeah it, it's not a <laughs> it's re- not even a sequel or anything nor is it like that they're remastering the original because that I can get behind. That's the same thing. Like that's just improving the quality of life. That's well, kind of what they're doing of the first one. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. They just they just want to make money off the same thing again. I I see where your cynicism is coming from. I think I'm more curious more than anything else about like where it's going to go and whether it's going to be good. I think we can, I think we can complain about Disney live action movies yeah, for the whole thing because I, there's fucking heaps of them. I just but, hate. That yeah. there's no like I thought the Jungle Book one was pretty good. Resources that are going towards that could be going towards coming up with new ideas. Yeah, but they won't. <laughs> I um, know. Especially now that they're like one of like what, one of five major production companies in the world. Yeah. Like fucking hell. Um, there's just no no incentive to to innovate. Yeah. Uh there is a new Marvel property coming out called The Eternals. I don't know whether this is like a series or a movie, but um, Angelina Jolie is in talks to star in it alongside Camille Nanjiani. All right, which is exciting. Uh, it's a series that was created in the mid seventies by some dude named Jack Kirby and was updated in two thousand six. Famous with this type of shit, isn't I, he? I don't. That's know. a name I recognize. Yeah, I suppose so. And it, it was updated in two thousand six in a mini series by Neil Gaiman. So if it's that oh, kind okay. of like um, weird, dark kind of shit, then Neil I might Gaiman, be interested in seeing it. Highly famed and praised sci-fi author. Yeah. So um. And I think the author of American Gods, which was made into and an the Sandman Amazon series as well, yeah. yeah. And I, so I don't know. I, I don't know whether Neil Gaiman is necessarily attached to this new property that's coming out, right? But exciting, nevertheless. Sure. And I am really excited about uh, Command Line Journey getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, he's great. I mean, I'd prefer that he wasn't kind of beholden to um, <laughs> the Marvel shit because I just feel like he doesn't have to do it, man. He's probably <laughs> excited to get the work. He's probably excited to, yeah. I mean, both. Also, probably excited to get the money. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think that the the times when best he'll be able to thrive is when he has enough creative. Because he's a, he's a fucking great scriptwriter, and and absolutely the times when he's probably best able to create art are when he has a lot of creative control over it. And I just don't think that that. Well, be I mean, I think that's probably discrediting his ability as an actor. I think it. I mean, it's not doing that at all. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't write or have much creative control in Silicon Valley. I imagine he's just a cast cast member in that. Yeah, and he's great. But I'm not. I, I think that you know something like The Big Sleep was the big, the big Sick. Sorry, The Big Sick was a pretty incredible film. I think so. Um, I think the interesting thing about that is that it's like based on events in his own life. Yeah, I'd be curious to see the next screenplay he comes out with. That's not just uh, not just retelling shit that already happened to him, <laughs> hey? <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. Uh, uh, interesting, sure. Yeah, um, but it, yeah. Look at this point, um, Marvel is just a huge negative for me. So <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Good um, on him. New uh, Francis Ford Coppola news. 
he is going to be re-releasing Blade <laughs> Runner style. He's not dead yet. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be re- he's going to be releasing uh, Blade Runner style a final cut of Apocalypse Now. We don't have many details about that, but famously the final cut of Blade Runner was brilliant, and it's the most it's the definitive version of Blade Runner. The director's cut. No, the final cut. The, I think the director's the cut. The final cut. Yeah. The director's cut is the one that everyone talks about in Blade Runner. The final cut came out like more recently and it's the definitive edition and it's whatever. So so this this version of Apocalypse Now is being premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival later this year, so we don't have any details about it. But it's in addition to it being a new cut of the film, it's a completely four K restored, remastered, scanned in from the original negatives version of the film. Okay. Um apparently a lot of love and care went into remastering it. Yep. Um we don't really even know whether it's gonna be um, like what kind of what kind of length it's going to be because of course the original film came out whenever it did and yeah. then that Redux extended version is like an hour longer. Yeah. I imagine this is probably going to be a sweet spot of the two somewhere. But also he recorded. Remember we said they they recorded like forty hours of footage. Yeah. So, so maybe they're going to go back to that. Here. Yeah. I mean, and that would be really interesting. Um, really. The interesting. remastering thing. I, I've been watching uh, the Sopranos. Excuse me. I've been watching uh, The Sopranos recently, and I got it on Blu-ray. And obviously, when it was, I, I guess it was probably on thirty-five mil when they first recorded it. It's in like four by three. Yeah. So the Blu-ray version is a rescanned version of of the film of the original footage, yeah. and it means that like you can see like characters' pores and like the fucking fucked. you can see like the wrinkles in their makeup when they smile and stuff. Like it's um, yeah, it's it's. Much higher quality. Like I think they, if they'd known, probably than it was ever intended yeah, to be. Yeah, <laughs> and and they, you know, they weren't thinking about it because that wasn't something that that they had to think about back then. So yeah. the remastering part of it is probably just going to be very similar to that, where like you'll just be able to see like the fucking beads of sweat Hell physically yeah. forming on the skin, like as opposed to just kind of matted hair or whatever. I'm really looking forward which to which can it. be cool and and interesting to see, but I think that what they do with the editing and the additional footage that they have and what they play around with with that is is going to be something something that will make or break that experience i think yeah i i mean even if it was just a a a remastered rescanned version of the original film i'd be interested in it i mean yeah, it's always, i always i really liked redux yeah and i always liked the idea of people being able to go back with the luxury of modern technology and revisit old projects i mean famously george lucas absolutely fucked it but there have been albums yeah. that have come out recently and done it really well. Blade Runner famously did it really well, if only for the director's cut, um, which was very good. Obviously. Which cut, sorry? The director's cut of which Blade one? Runner. All I mean is there are <laughs> cuts of Blade Runner that come out, the director's cut and the final cut, both of which are better than the theatrical release. Yeah. So Dude, I think, so I I think it's back. probably naive to sort of jump to poo-poo straight away. Or like, oh, well, you know. I was talking to someone on uh, the topic of Blade Runner recently, and they... Um, <laughs> They have never seen it. I think it was Pat, friend of the show. Um, and uh, I was saying that I found that the original Blade Runner was on Netflix recently, but it's the theatrical version. <laughs> oh, and it man, turns I'd, out I'd be all of the it. times I've seen it, I've never seen the theatrical version. Yeah, the theatrical version. version's fucked. It's crazy. Did you watch the whole thing? Some of it. It has a happy ending, and Deckard narrates the whole thing, yeah, explaining it. The narration everything. is the most shocking thing, because like, if you just change the ending, it's like, oh, okay, you're playing with the fundamental question that's asked in the film, but whatever. But the fact, <laughs> but that, it's, but the fact that it's echoing this. This film noir style, cause like, like hardboiled detective kind of thing. Yeah, and you yeah. know the, the most common, I, or I think a big heuristic for that is like 
these extended shots where no one's talking, but the character is narrating over the top of what they're doing, and it's that sort of like, I wasn't sure if I was doing the right thing or not. <laughs> and it has that for like a good half an hour. Well, that's that was the whole reason the why the director's cut came out, because yeah. those are all studio notes yeah. where he didn't want to do that and shit. And it sucks. It sucks real bad. It's, yeah. it's cheesy, it's hammy, it fucking ruins the tone of the entire show. Because then, you have the original soundtrack, which is one of the most memorable things about Blade Runner, and then just Harrison Ford just yammering <laughs> over the fucking top of it. Peanutsing yeah. the whole thing. It's fucking crazy. Like, I, yeah, I can't believe... It. No wonder it fucking tanked in theatres if yeah. that was a version that got released. Yeah, exactly. That is... Boy, it's not... It's nowhere near as good. With yeah, the, the interesting though, hey. Yeah, um, interesting to see, but I'm glad that um, that they went back. So yeah. I guess, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of keen to explore like more famous films that, um, that have a really good kind of post-theatrical version that really sort of changes and yeah, saves it. I think if, so. Um, if any listeners have got any suggestions for, <laughs> for movies that do that sort of stuff. I can't think really of many others. I think Blade Runner and Apocalypse Now. Yeah. But I'm sure that there would be lots. So yeah, Probably, if anyone's yeah. if anyone's aware of any like really fucked theatrical versions, and then like some really ones that came out with director's cuts or final cuts up. later, then yeah, famously the Donnie Darko like director's cut is worse. Like yeah, that's a that that's was saved in the edit, and the director came out and was went like, "Here's what I meant it to be," and they were like, "Yeah, no, yeah, no one cares no, no, about no. what you meant it this, to that's be." That's why we hired an editor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like Ridley Scott is a bit of a fiend for it. Like a lot of his movies kind of get fucked up. To, to I haven't heard of screen, any other ones like, other than Blade Runner. Prometheus, I feel, had a like a few of his recent ones had some some kind of people. You know, people came out of theaters and were like, "What the fuck was that?" And then they'll go through and watch like the the Blu-ray version extended cut, and they'll be like, "Ah, oh, that's why half the plot notes <laughs> that got hit got hit." Like, yeah, maybe. It just, yeah, omits a lot of stuff. So. Um, uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola is also aiming to begin production on a new movie that he started writing in the 80s uh, a sci-fi epic called Megalopolis <laughs> I can't be right <laughs> excuse um, you uh, all about uh, an architect dreaming of a utopic vision of New York City in the near future and his battle with the conservative mayor who has other ideas for the city um He's apparently been trying to work on it for ages, and in the past he's had people like Nicolas Cage, James Gandolfini, uh, Claire Danes, Kevin Spacey, Meryl Streep, Robert De Niro, all in some way attached with the project, and he's never never gotten it off the ground. And he's mm. trying to really, really have a crack at it later this year. Uh, he's he's eighty now, Jesus. So yeah, like, that's, know, um, really got to get a wriggle on. He's doing a doing a good job. We got more news uh, about the Christopher Nolan movie. We know it oh, as a genre. It's a f- we know it's a feature a, movie. It has something to do with an event that happens. An event film. An event right. film. <laughs> we also know breaking news in a, a change of direction for Christopher Nolan that his new movie is going to involve the time continuum. Cool. What the fuck does that mean? Involve the time continuum. One, Christopher Nolan movies that play with the idea of time? Yeah. What? Like, don't. I think, or does he literally mean that he's not going to present time as a flat circle in this film? I think at this point, (laughs) 
Aren't all movies? <laughs> don't all movies involve the time? Shrek continuum? involves the time continuum. <laughs> yeah. So does Shrek Four contentiously. Yeah. I mean, Shrek Four has got some pretty deep exploration of the time continuum, but like every single film, I really he does. Want to stop saying the phrase "time, time continuum" because I feel but like fucking dirty. It makes dirty it sound more impressive because it. it's normally space. It's not space time continuum. It's just the time continuum. Yeah. Like his new film, his new film, it's going to involve a timeline. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most non... This takes the cake. I'll be impressed if you show me a film that, that doesn't, doesn't involve a timeline. This takes this takes the cake for non-news. This is... Out of all the non-news I've done so far, I think this beats... Listen up, Screen Rant. <laughs> you guys have really, really screwed the fucking pooch on this one. All right? You know it's dog shit. There's nothing in it. Yeah. He's also hired a new editor because his long-term go-to editor is unavailable. Great. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Who's doing the catering on the new Christopher Nolan movie? What a tortured soul! Like <laughs> he's he's the person responsible for making sure that the that the non-linear time narrative makes sense. He's just like, is it about is it? Do, is this movie filmed chronologically? Well, what do you want, Jason? It's an event. It involves time. Yeah. But if, he, if he, he's just like, is it filmed chronologically? If it's not fucking filmed chronologically, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> it's um, I mean it. It involves the time continuum. Oh shit! No, no. What, what if they film a film? I mean, no, you know what? This is obviously how they all film it. But like, what if they film a film non-linearly? Obviously, like most films are filmed. Yeah. But then they bust it and be like, none of those, none of those scenes are allowed to be in sequence at all. You have to jumble them all up. Yeah, I want a completely different sequence. It'd be like Memento, right? <laughs> Which I've never seen. But. <laughs> well, there's. There's famously a bit of a Beatles song where they wanted it to be this mishmash of like um, a crazy psychedelic like organ solo, and so they went around and got like a hundred tape snippets of like a hundred different organ solo solos, and they um they just cut all the tape up and just got an engineer <laughs> gave an engineer a shoebox with all these snippets like here just stick this together however the fuck you want. <laughs> Is he allowed to listen to it? <laughs> no. Well, there are little bits that you probably couldn't. Yeah. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you had to just like stick all this fucking tape together and it's like... Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's happened. <laughs> well, this is you can cross Beatles reference off your beef station bingo for this episode. <laughs> How's the drinking game going at this point? Yeah. Pretty well. I, I don't have imagine. a Bob Dylan fact I can think of at the moment, but I'll get one. That's all right. I'll get one. One will come up. Apparently, Christopher Nolan's script is unreal, and Robert Pattinson was allowed to read it in a locked room. Interesting. <laughs> you know how, like, sometimes if someone gives you something to read, I feel like if someone, like, shows me, like, a meme or whatever on their phone, and like, here, read this, my reading speed and comprehension ability drops to, like, 20% yeah. of whatever it is normally. We have all the pressure in the world on you <laughs> to have the desired response for them. And I find myself reading, like, a web comic, and it'll take me, like, five minutes yeah, yeah, yeah. of sitting there being... Like, Hold it still! <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine... How fucking stressed you'd be if you had to read an entire script cover to cover yeah. in a locked room with, I assume, people waiting on the other Just side of the door. And like breathing on the back of your neck. <laughs> yeah, being like, no, what do you think? Hey, what about that page? What's your, favorite, what's your favorite bit on that bit? Didn't, didn't, didn't think that was funny? Yeah. <laughs> that would be so stressful. Oh, man. He's also like, I mean, he's Robert Pattinson, right? Yeah. Like... I think he's probably... I don't know. When you're in this sort of almost the same echelon of 
kind of the film industry is it's probably a lot less stressful. You're probably just like, oh, hey, Chris, or whatever. So yeah, know. but like. I don't know. How long would it take you to read it? Like, would, would he be in this locked room for a couple hours? Is he allowed to have bathroom breaks? Like, they're all voluntary adults, like, engaging in business. At what point are you allowed to lock Robert Pattinson in a room and force him to read the script? Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a funny, weird thing. <laughs> Is he allowed to ask questions later? And they're like, oh, you read the script? Yeah. Why didn't you ask for more Did time? You read it or not? <laughs> Why didn't you ask for a second viewing? There were appointments. <laughs> Fuck me. Um, it comes out in summer of 2020. So I look forward to yeah, okay. absolutely no more news between now and then trickling out at about the same alarming rate. Yeah, well, um, we're going to get like one or two keywords every fucking... <laughs> not, no, not keywords, just words. Look forward to finding out that Christopher Nolan plans to use actors next week in <laughs> yeah, his film. Yeah, exactly. Some of the actors might <laughs> have genders. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Fucking um, hell. Biggest news that came out this week is to do with Disney finally announcing their streaming service. Oh, yeah, okay. Which will launch on... This has been in the works for a while, hasn't it? I'm actually, honestly, man, like, for all the hate you have about Disney, considering the library they have, I'm actually pretty excited about this. Um, They are launching it in uh, November in the US, and then they've sort of got vague plans... November 12th it comes out in the US and they sort of haven't given any firm dates for anywhere else in the rest of the world. Well, I think they said Mm. sort of, like, the Asia-Oceania region, for example, like... In fall 2020, roughly. Right. So, like, we're going to get it sometime next year. Yeah. Um, but for people that don't know, if you've been living under a rock, um, this streaming service is going to include all parts of the Disney catalog. So, that includes all the Star Wars movies, all or most of the Marvel movies, all of the Pixar films. They've confirmed all of the Pixar shorts. There's about sort of 15 core catalog f- Disney films that they're going to release on there as well, like the... Uh, Beating the Beast and all that, and all the other big Disney films like Mary Poppins. Um, biggest news, I think, for me personally, is that in the US it's going to cost like $7 a month, which is half of what Netflix charges in yeah. the US. And they're going to have all 30 seasons of The Simpsons available to stream exclusively on this Disney Plus service um, from launch. I think that'd be really great. I've, I've always wanted to go in on all the old episodes of The Simpsons, and you've never been able to get them really... Very accessible in Australia. Not I'd, in one place, yeah. I'd go in on it for a few months just for The Simpsons, man. I'm excited yeah. for it. Um, they've got all of I the... I think they're right to be charging a lot less than Netflix. The, the, like, the library... It might be a, a decently extensive library for Disney content, yeah. but like considering the proportion of um, IP that they own... It's yeah. Th- there's actually like not that much there, so it's it's good to see. Well, that I mean, they own all of the Fox Searchlight, Fox, all the Fox. They own Marvel so Studios, much you know shit. I mean? It's yeah. ridiculous. So they own. They get. It's, it's going to have like five thousand episodes of Disney Channel content. Yeah. It's going to have hundreds of other Disney movies from the last few years. It, they've also announced the fact that they're going to be releasing brand new exclusive series in the same way that Netflix does. Yeah. The first few that they've announced are going to be a Monsters Inc. Series okay. uh, with all of the original Monsters Inc. cast that are coming back, including John Goodman and Billy Crystal. If that's and all good, that. good writing, I could get behind that. Yeah, the Monsters. You've never seen Monsters University, have you? No, of course I have. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh, it's really good. I think yeah. it's great. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they're so, they're really and that's good. an example of them returning to the universe and doing a great job. This is going to be set six months after the original film. Okay. Um, the Jeremy Renner has never had a Hawkeye movie for Marvel, and he's going to get a Hawkeye series. Uh, I think it's an example of ways in which they could funnel their um, bloodlust for producing more Marvel shit yeah. into other directions. I think that some of the best stuff that Marvel's done in recent years has been the series, honestly. Like Dead, uh, Daredevil on Netflix is brilliant. Jessica Jones is really good. Um, 
all the weird shit where they've been forced to go in different directions has been some of the best stuff. Like some of the B-grade characters they came out with, like Guardians of the Galaxy was really good. In a series, you have time to, like, you have more time to devote to a, um, like, character arc. You've got more time to kind of flesh out motivations and that type of thing. So Yeah, absolutely. I think, like, you, you're probably given a... It, depending on the, how they want the series to be made, you're given more time to just put resources into the writing and that type of shit. Yeah. And also, like the way that um, uh, the way that those kind of things would be like focus grouped won't be the fucking same as the the movies will be because that this isn't like this is on the streaming service. It's not gonna like they're they're not reliant on. You know, they obviously want to see a bump in subscriptions, but it's not about <laughs> selling tickets and it's not about being profitable in the same way. So they're I probably a so. lot less focused on. I mean, maybe that means it's going to lead to a drop in con- a drop in quality. I hope not. Um, a, a couple Star Wars series are coming out. That Mandalorian, uh, not Boba Fett, but kind of Boba Fett series, as well as a series about uh Diego Luna's character from Rogue One, the sort of uh. Remember him, like the Hispanic male main character? Yeah, I remember. I, I thought he was a really cool character. I, I'd be psyched yeah, to see that. I think so. I, I feel like... We've never had a Star Wars TV series. I'd be really excited to see that. I mean, like a, a, a live action live one. Action one yeah. I think... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I would really have to hear very positive things before any of the stuff that you just described got me to spend my time on that instead of yeah. other shit. Like, I would definitely go in for The Simpsons alone, man. There are so many old seasons of The Simpsons that I haven't seen in ages that I'd be curious to watch. There is a singular point in The Simpsons where you can just stop watching after that because yeah. like, it died. And yeah. it's funny because all of the... Within like a year, basically all of the original creative team left and you can fucking tell. It's it's crazy. <laughs> I, I've watched a, a couple of videos on it. It's really interesting. It, and it's early on. Like they're up to... So they've got 30, 30 seasons, seasons or something. Yeah. It's like it was at like the seventh season and the rest of it just became like, let's have a celeb on this episode and like let's shoehorn a fucking storyline into <laughs> a singular episode and let's start and end in the same place so that we're, we're not taking any kind of risks with the overall thing or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. But early Simpsons is fucking great. Yeah, yeah, I think the first... It's I think still funny. If, if, if I think Josh would know better than me, but I think I think famously the first 12 seasons or so are really good. It, it might be that. But, but also, like, saying, like, it's the less first than half. 12 seasons. I, I, I don't know. I haven't been on the... F- I, I've missed everything and from like, The Simpsons for ages. If you... The Simpsons is one of those rare things where if you go back, it's fucking funny. Like the first few seasons, still you, it like ramps up and then it's. I think it starts. I think it's good. consistently great for ages. It just, I think it starts with a bit of a different tone. Yeah, but I think if you're looking for different things from it, it's still really good. Like, um, but yeah, I, it's, it's, I'm very impressed when I see old Simpsons stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. At how well, just how well it held up. Yeah. Um, they're also they're also talking about the yeah, um nitty-gritty type stuff about how, for example, you'll be able to download all of the content for offline viewing. And I don't think... I mean, sure. I, th- I suppose Netflix does it, but there's yeah. a whole bunch of streams. Netflix does it for some titles. You can't do it for others. It's weird. Yeah. Um, no, I'd honestly be, I'd honestly be excited. I couldn't give a fuck about the Marvel and the Star Wars shit, but for Simpsons alone and maybe Futurama and all the other Fox stuff, mm. if you can't get it anywhere else, I'd pay... I'd pay... You know, what, that would even work out to be like 60 bucks for 
you know, the next eight months to have access to fucking Netflix uh, for to, Simpsons. We're we're entering this um, really frustrating era now with uh, with all of these services. It's happening like on, a million streaming services. Yeah, versions. and it's happening yeah. on uh, PC as well. So like recently, you you might not be as up to date with the new stuff. Not being a, a this is this Epic Game Store. Bullshit. Yeah, so yeah. like people who people who don't know for like. For years and years and years, maybe like 15 years, if you needed a game on PC, you went to this one platform called Steam. It's run by a company called Valve. They made the Half-Life games, and you bought it on Steam. It's got the store. It holds your library of games, and it manages them and organizes them. It has full social integration, so all of your friends are managed through the same platform, and all of your multiplayer componentry is managed through that same platform, so I can be chatting to someone in a window, and I can join their game in a drop-down box in the chat. Yeah, and Epic Games came along, the company that made, makes Fortnite, and they have basically f- used Fortnite and the success of that as a platform to to start up their own store. And they're pulling market share away from Steam by like making devs promise to have their games be exclusive to the Epic Store for a period of time. So like Borderlands sure. Three, massive title, Epic Games exclusive, right? And what it means is, so Borderlands 3 is a is a cooperative game. It's just an illustrative example, but it's a predominantly cooperative game that you'll play with your friends. I don't have any friends on the Epic Store, and in fact, it's a dog shit system. The, the thing with this thing, though, is that like it's just the way they want to sell their game. And like if you care enough about playing with your friends that you'd play Borderlands with anyway... You would just get them to add you on yeah, this other platform. It's, slight, and it's on your computer it's anyway. It's a slight road bump. But it doesn't cost you any more money. I think the difference here is that it's like an extra fucking streaming service yeah, yeah, where you're like, well, previously everything I wanted to watch was on Netflix and it's costing me $10 a month. Now it's costing me double the amount of yeah, money. Yeah, well, that's month. what it's, I was going to say. It slowly becomes like a cable like a cable TV package. Like the distinction is that, this, that you don't have to pay a subscription fee to um, the stores. But if you, like, for instance, if you wanted to play... If you want to play a PS4 game online and you want to play a Switch game online and you want to play a, an Xbox game online, like you have to pay the subscription service for all of those individual yeah. things. So like this subscription model, in some ways, like when Netflix came along, it was really good because it's this new thing that's and pricing everything, and everything's on that yeah, and it's cheaper. And, and it's really good. But yeah. what's going to end up happening is like you're going to have such a splintered market share that you're going to end up having to pay for so many subscription models that it's just going to like end up not being worth your money and yeah. it just means people are going to miss out on way more well it's it's nice to have like the luxury of being able to be like oh i don't want to miss out on this art this art from this content mm. provider this content provider that's yeah, important it is, man it is annoying you experience art and then you die like, <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you got to have something to do while you're not at fucking work uh, yeah i know right or while you are at work <laughs> well um, some people, it's frustrating. Yeah. I'm excited for this Disney one, if only so I can watch old Simpson shit. And that was, I think that's pretty much all the news I've got for this week. Yeah, I heard uh, some ramblings of um, some of the some of the preview audiences for the Sonic film. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, and apparently it's um, I don't know. I think it's setting a really interesting tone. It sounds fucking crazy. Not in man. a good way. Yeah. Um, that they've taken a couple of like really strange creative decisions to not have things be similar to how they were in the video games. Like apparently Carrie's portrayal of Eggman is it's like I, I haven't seen a, a visual of it. Jim Carrey in a red jumpsuit or something. No, it's it's he's dressed all in black and he's like a normally proportioned human but with a huge handlebar mustache. So it's like Furious. His name's Doctor Eggman because he's Shaped like a fucking egg. What's 
do you have a good reason for that or what? It's like, oh, well, uh, yeah. No. Anyway. <laughs> um, and some of the writing is like between 90s movie cheesy and like fine. I'm so, so excited for this it's movie. You gonna cannot be, convince me otherwise. It's going to be fucking bizarre. When does it even come out? It's not for ages, no, right? No, it's not for a while. Oh, baby. Detective Pikachu comes out very soon. Yeah, that one. And I, they just dropped another teaser trailer yeah. um, showing like... At least 15 to 20 more live-action Pokemon. Sweet. I should have Magikarp. Magikarp looks insane. <laughs> My one concern is that it's going to be like... They're going to try and shoehorn too many Pokemon into it. So you'll just be like bouncing between... I want to see like, 400 And this is Pokemon. what this would like. And this is what this would like. And this is what this would like. You know. But from what we've seen in the trailers... like It seems like it's pretty organically integrated. Yeah, like you so can have all sorts of different Pokemon, but yeah, they're just exactly. a part of the world. I so just, I, I'm still keen for it. I'm so I'm genuinely and unironically now excited for, for the, the Pikachu, Pikachu movie. movie. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus Christ, it's going to be so good. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but the Sonic movie is uh, going to be, as predicted by us, I think, absolutely fucked. <laughs> <laughs> also keen for that. Uh, is it uh, time for the next segment, man? Uh, yeah. I've got a bit of uh, for beefness or pleasure oh, for you. Uh, this week I watched Pet Cemetery. Oh yeah, okay. with friend of the show Mary. We went to see a horror film, and cut off the back of us, we were talking about how I think it's interesting that us seems like a very well-made, a very arty kind of film with good mm. shots and interesting writing, and that it's just that the actual writing of the story is going awful. And we were, I was, I said, I think originally in that episode, like I think even like a cheesy, shitty um, quotes like a horror movie would be better and would be more enjoyable because I found that us tended to drag quite a lot. Yeah, I mean if it's if it's more cohesive then yeah. like it's more enjoyable. I think this backs that up. It has a fifty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, fifty seven percent on Metacritic. I had so much fun with this movie. Yeah. It was the best fun. Was it one it of was those like, like a stupid horror movie? Yeah. Was it one of those movies for like dumb movies that Smart viewers enjoy, you know, like Cabin Cabin in the Woods. I think it knew it was a, a little, dumb I mean, fucking movie. I think this knew it was a little dumb, yeah, for sure. So th- um, I, I can really get. Behind I, that. I had I had the best fun with it. I mean, this like any horror movie, like it's about magic. Obviously, there's some shit that you can poke holes in and stuff. stuff yeah, yeah. Um, but further reinforcing my theory that horror is about supernatural. <laughs> but uh, I think that what was it about? So yeah, so what's what's it about is uh, a family. It's like a doctor and his like stay-at-home wife and two kids that move to a small town to sort of escape the big city life, and they buy like a big kind of like hobby farm kind of property in on the outskirts of this small town in the middle of fuck nowhere America, um, and they live next to creepy now, ass. Let me guess, <laughs> they live next to. Uh, Creepy ass motherfucker played by John Lithgow. Budget Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's like the friendly, but like, what the fuck is he up to? Like, mm. a old dude neighbor who's been there for fifty years and sort of talks about all the legends of the neighborhood. Um, they find out that there is a pet cemetery on their property, oh. and they have this property that sort of stretches out way back. Like they they buy this property. It's this doctor dude, and he doesn't even know how big the property is. And he asks his neighbor John Lithgow, like, "So how far back does our fence line actually go?" And John Lithgow's like, "Oh, way further than you'd ever want to go. It's ridiculous. You've got this giant fucking block, and so right. um, you've got this like creepy kind of f- woods forest area bordering on your like classic American uh, ranch house with a big red barn." Um, 
Essentially, the plot of the movie is um, you've got the daughter and the little baby son. The daughter has this cat. She really loves the cat. And in a freak accident, Uh the cat dies. The daughter has since become very close and very friendly with a nice old guy that lives next door. Uh Um, And the dad loves his daughter, obviously. Uh And so they say, hey, if you love your daughter and you want this cat to come back, come with me. And they bury the cat in the pet cemetery. In the back of their yard. And there's all this creepy shit that happens in horror movie shit where they see like figures and masked masked dudes walking in and out of this pet cemetery at night. You're like, what the fuck's going on? It's kind of scary. Right. Um, the idea is if you bury anything in the pet cemetery, it comes back to life. But it comes back to life without a soul and kind of dark and fucked. So yeah, this okay. cat's like a lovely cat. And when it comes back, it's like this evil demon cat that like scratches everyone and like won't let you touch it and hisses all the time. Um, and that sets up what happens later in the film spoiler alert where the daughter gets killed okay um damn and I think this is in the trailer this is in the trailer it gives shit away spoiler alert skip the next two minutes if you want to see Pet Cemetery. yeah um it'll 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 be so quick skip like a minute ahead um so the father (laughs) buries I can think one minute (laughs) I can (laughs) I'm going to announce what the ending of Pet Cemetery is. I'm now going to count to 60 before (laughs) I spoil it. Um, uh, (laughs) Just give um, me a minute ahead for the spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think I I I spoil this because it's a dumb horror movie and I had fun with it anyway. Um, So so the father then buries the daughter in the forest and his marriage is breaking apart and the daughter comes back to life and it's just like demon daughter. And that's the film. Good fun. I would recommend watching so it if you like is horror the, movies. It, 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 like the cat, was it like this is some clearly fucked monster cat, or was it just the, the sort of personality and? It, it's the personality, so it looks right. like the cat, but like as if it's been in a hole for a couple of days. Like it's got the scar and the bloodied up face from where the cat was. So I think the cat was like hit by a truck, so it looks right. a bit fucked. It's got okay. scars and stuff. And How similarly, does the like die? the cat kills the daughter because the daughter, the, the cat, like runs out onto the road. And the daughter thinks the cat's running away because that's what she thought happened the first time when the cat died. And oh. so um, the cat runs out onto the road and like goes, meow, meow, and you hear this truck coming. And this is the motif if they live right on a highway and all these trucks speed past. Um, and so uh, you've, if you've come back, skip another two minutes. <laughs> um, well, time good. Yeah, yeah. Um, the truck... Uh, is like coming and so the daughter goes to save the cat and the cat like plays with the daughter on the road and the daughter doesn't realise the truck's coming and gets hit by the truck. And so like the cat's this like homicidal fucking cat that like lures the daughter out onto the road so she also gets hit by the truck. It's ridiculous. Mm. Um, it's a good film though. My so, point is... Wait, I, so uh, just in terms of the rest of the film, yeah. does is the daughter like... I'm assuming that she like haunts them or something. Alright, I'm straight out going to ruin this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the daughter... Then, so by the point where the daughters come back to life, the daughter dies and they bury her and there's a whole fucking scene with a funeral and there's a coffin and the wife's like, I can't fucking deal with this. So he, she takes the baby son and she goes and they go and live with their parents in the city or whatever. And so it's literally just the dude alone in his big fucking farmhouse, dead daughter buried in the graveyard in town. Right. And he goes like, you know what? And he goes and digs up the daughter and, yep. goes and fucking buries her. Um, and so the daughter comes back to life and she looks like a corpse with like the scars all over her face and that. And she's all gray and like kind of clammy. Um, she's kind of catatonic. Like she'll just be like dance. She was a ballet dancer. She'll just be like there just like absentmindedly dancing ballet or whatever in the middle right. of the night. And she becomes like murderous. And the people that get 
revived hold a grudge against all the living and against the members of the family for like bringing them back to life or whatever. Right. And so that's why the cat tried to kill the daughter and then the daughter goes and tries to kill everyone else in the family. Right. And then bring them back to life as zombies. Oh, okay. And that's straight up the whole film. Right. Um, so the daughter kills John Lithgow. Um, yeah. John Lithgow... Uh, is the one that introduced them to the whole graveyard in the first place. Yep. And he says, like, nah, when you, like, revive something for the first time, you get this, like, weird, like, fucking urge in your mind to keep going back and reviving shit. Like, the right. graveyard's, like, calling to you. And the cat, like, gets revived, and the daughter gets revived, and then the daughter kills the uh, the wife who comes back, and the wife is a zombie, and then the husband is a zombie, and there's, like, a baby zombie. <laughs> Zombies. Yeah. Good film, though. My point is with this, like, it's a big, dumb horror movie that's not trying to do anything arty, and I had so much fun watching it, and I think that us, again, the shit on us, um, no, the story was just fucked and I was bored, and so the point is with this, like, I think you can wank off onto your movie as much as you want, but if it's not entertaining to some degree in however, in whatever medium you want to be entertaining, I'm not saying it has to be funny, but if your drama isn't entertaining as a drama then fuck your movie. Yeah, I think it just must have suffered from something. Like, something went wrong. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. I don't think the movie that we saw was what, like, really, you might not get it out of him in public, but I really feel like it can't be, Peel can't be happy with it. (laughs) Like, he can't be looking at it just being like, no, it's just that no one gets it. It's getting you know? great reviews, yeah, man. I still don't understand it. Fucking ridiculous. I think we're the dumb ones. No one listening no, to this. No, I've looked it up. And like, <laughs> I don't know where these good it. reviews are coming from because there are massive opinion pieces written on how incoherent and kind of very superficially... Uh, how very superficially it engages with any particular issue before moving on to a different issue. I think any film you know that makes I mean? you feel dumb isn't smart. It's, it's, it's a shit film. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, a good example of doing that well, obviously vastly different, but like The Big Short has to make you, yeah. as a viewer, understand the issues that are quite complex financial Well, like all those issues. big heist movies that have a big turn at the yeah, end and right. show you this big scheme and you go, oh, I think the, my favorite films are the films that make you feel like a fucking genius when you watch them where you're like, oh, there's a giant scheme going on and like American Hustle was really good for that. That's a big complicated fucking political yeah, heisty kind of film. Fuck, um, man. That, I'm so mad at Netflix about that. I had that downloaded like on my queue. phone to watch it. No, downloaded <laughs> Do they delete it, on my it phone. if it's in your queue? If you've if you downloaded download it? it and you try to watch it and they pull it off Netflix, that you can't even access the file. Like, they Fuck. lock you out of it. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't put a 700 meg authoritarian brick on your phone, fucking though, shit. No, no, no. It, it just says, like, can't play the file. Do you want to delete it? Like, yes. <laughs> no, I'm cool. Yeah, exactly. I'll just keep like, this no, encrypted I'll fucking crack the brick encryption. My- yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> Very, very frustrating. (laughs) It was on there for like six fucking months. And then the day when I was like, oh, I can watch American Hustle, they pulled it. And I had checked like two days beforehand. Fucking. Always happens. Have you got any beefness or pleasure this week? We can do a games corner version. Anything. I've been playing Final Fantasy IX a lot on. So they did a re release of it on the Switch. Um,. I reckon I'm not going to try and make this entertaining for people who don't play video games no. at all. But Final Fantasy IX came out in... 2001 or something. Nah, it was like earlier than that, man. No. It's fucking old. Okay, exactly the year 2000. <laughs> 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 all right, it was older than what I said. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's it's almost 20 years old now. Um, it's really interesting the way that the... So it's a Japanese RPG... 
um, made by the same company as like Kingdom Hearts, but a really long time ago. I'm pretty sure everyone knows the Final Fantasy series, even if it's just in passing. But um, the this was on the PlayStation 1 when it first came out. And um, a really interesting thing about games at this time was that because the... So, like, people are, I think, aware of just how far things have come since then. But, like, the PS1 was a weak shit console. Well, this is a problem because you had all these 2D consoles, like the SNES, that got to, like, the peak of performance for 2D gaming. Yeah. And then you get, like, the 64 and the PlayStation 1 that came out that were the first games that did, like, 3D games. And then all your quality of the games pretty much took a giant fucking... Nose because they were all in this. Because new now they brave have to work at how to work at how to make three D games. Yeah. So what's really cool about this one is that they didn't have the processing power. They wanted to make these huge, vast environments, <laughs> right? But they didn't have the processing power to uh, render the environments as three D worlds within the console because the console just wasn't strong enough. So what they did was they built an invisible environment. And had all the little like model, like tiny little polygon model characters walking around in that. But then in the background, there was just a two-dimensional uh, piece of art that lined up perfectly, like an oil painting that lined up perfectly with the invisible two D or three D environment. But it almost so, mean it almost looks like you're watching a playing a two D game then, right? In the sense that like it's fixed camera angles. No, it actually well, yeah, it is fixed camera angles. It does go three D at some points, and it's like, oh Jesus Christ, like, it <laughs> looks like it looks like shit, yeah. but. Um, was when that you're two and a half D the, looking thing? No, it's like it's a proper three D thing. It's just very. You know what I mean? Though, like it's, it'll be like a locked yeah. off camera where you might like walk up into the distance or whatever bullshit and like. Yeah, it is. It is that, but the the way that they've actually rendered all of the artwork and stuff in the background, I think it, the the art direction is the thing that's so incredibly strong about those games. It always has been. Right. Um, so just the the environments that they're coming up with, like. Um, it's kind of steampunky, so like the way all the design of all of the airships is really fucking cool. The character design of Final Fantasy is like got that great like kind of charming edginess to it. And would you say it holds um, up in terms of a game twenty years later, or would you only play it for nostalgia purposes? I'm 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 enjoying it, um, but I think I have a pretty high th- threshold for like tolerating the weird quirks of fucking JRPGs because <laughs> like it's got this thing where it's not quite turn based. It uses this system called an active time battle where each individual characters energy level charges up and then when right. when the when that bar fills up then you can do something and so it means that like if you walk away from the console mid battle you'll die because uh, enemies have the same <laughs> system going on. Not a very popular strategy at the best of times. but well, <laughs> They did it for like four games. Like I think Final Fantasy VI was the first one or maybe five was the first one to have it. So they did it for a long time. And then ten, obviously followed nine, um, and that was completely turn-based. So they actually like went back on it. Right. So I don't know. It, it, it's really interesting. I really like it. It's on Switch. That's how I'm playing it. It and 7 have just been released, and actually in another four days, the HD remaster of 10 and... 10, 10 Give us a bit of time to finish 9, then. <laughs> yeah, and these games are fucking long. They're like 50 to 100-hour games. Oh, fuck that. So, like, <laughs> yeah, you, you would hate them. Oh, man. But um, 100 hours of turn-based combat. Kill me. Semi-turn-based combat. <laughs> That's even worse. Um, it is actually worse. I'm really looking forward to 10 because I, over the active time thing, I much prefer a turn-based thing because if I'm doing two things at once, I don't die. The only semi I want anything to do with <laughs> is this semi right here. Now, listeners, Oscar's pointed to a large truck. <laughs> <laughs> That's shipping in our weekly content. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of weekly Very content... Very slowly by the feeling of this episode. What movie have we done? Oh, what have we gone and done this week? <laughs> <laughs> we 
probably going to sound weary. Listeners are going to wonder why that intro section was only 15 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. It's been cut to pieces. Holy We've shit. We've been here um, for hours. <laughs> um this week, uh, as we hit the fourth hour of the podcast, yep. uh, <laughs> uh, we watched Apollo 13. Mm. Why the fuck did we watch a 20-year-old movie? Good question. Good question. Co-podcaster. <laughs> to be honest, I just always wanted to watch it. I've just heard it referenced all the time. Yeah. It's, like, it's definitely... In society. It, it must have been quite a... It must have had quite a splash when it first came out. So, yeah. Apollo 13, the Ron Howard-directed film starring Tom Hanks, came out... In 1995, had a budget of $52 million at the time. It tells the story of the famous NASA Apollo 13 tragedy in which uh, astronauts on the way to a moon landing... Get the measles. (laughs) um, Their spaceship goes into a serious malfunction. Something blows up. Yeah, something blows up on the spaceship on the way to the moon. It's set in 1970 or whatever. It's based on a true story. Um, and the, the astronauts, together with uh, NASA mission control back on Earth, have to work out what the fuck is going on and abandon their moon mission in order to get the astronauts home safely. Again, it's based on a true story, and the true story is fucking amazing. And it's like a testament to human ingenuity and the power intelligence of like all the engineers and all the astronauts and everyone on the ground and up in the air all working together and figuring shit out this had the same impact on me uh, almost as as first man did recently i um, thought it was a really good pairing with first man yeah and and i think that the thing that's amazing about it so first man was a lot more of like who was neil armstrong but first man was like a drama like a family drama yeah about the moon because kind of kind n- of thing nothing really went wrong no uh, in the first or the not the first Apollo, but whichever one fucking... Apollo 11. But also I think it's a story but, a lot more people are familiar with, and so they were able to focus yeah. on unusual stuff like the family dynamics. Yeah. And the implications of like what being an astronaut does to you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but this one was vastly more like your sort of conventional emergency slash disaster movie. It's a thriller kind of thing, yeah. But, um, but really good. And yeah. like s- just rock solid acting performances... Really solid writing. I'm sure that the fact that um, these characters existed in real life helped a lot with that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, th- th- it's based. It's one of those films that's based on like a non-fiction account of the thing. Yeah. So, so they, they didn't really they have to make to sure that off. the narrative made sense or whatever. But the way yeah, that. Exactly. Um, so it's it's not a short movie. It's like two hours. I think minus the credits, it's about two hours and ten minutes. Um, yeah. And. It just feels really tight. Like it feels like a classic eighties, nineties kind of film. Yeah, in the same way as like we watched uh, Forrest Gump recently, and it's like rock solid. Forrest Gump aged abysmally in comparison okay. to this movie. Like th- th- this movie was, if you made it with kind of updated visuals, there's nothing in this movie felt dated. It was yeah. really, really. I mean, like I think they could have made it a little more kind of artistic if i can chuck that word in there like some, some it didn't seem like it was going to be anything artsy in terms of no, the beautiful it absolutely wasn't but that meant that it was completely um it i'll i'll describe it this way all of the filmmaking takes a back seat so that it can just tell you a really An compelling amazing story, story. And, i agree and you I don't even great. notice the camera no or the, i was or i was trying to take note of it every now and then but there was there mm. really was nothing that was uh out of place not a single hair was out of place on this movie's head. Like it just, it was, it felt almost like you were experiencing it in real time, in real life. Absolutely, I think that's and like that's an incredible testament to to the quality of the movie. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't kind of going for 
being a movie as much as it was going for making you in 1995 slash 2019 <laughs> feel like you were watching it happen and giving you the privilege of being on board with the people that it was happening to. 100%. I, I really enjoyed it, I thought. I, I thought, thought it was great. Yeah. I'm really um, glad I watched it, yeah. Oh, that's 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 good, mm. nice boy. But yeah, I know, I'd always wanted to watch it just because I'd, I I've always heard it referenced all over the place. Like I think even the the Simpsons references it, and at yeah. some point I thought like, you know what, fuck it. This is the We're incident that it. the in Rod we trust episode of the Simpsons yeah. is based off. So the famous scene from this film, and I think if you're interested in seeing it, I don't know. I think it's one of those historical accounts where it's a very famous historical event but there's probably no spoilers but there's a little minutia yeah. about the historical event itself that i think are inherently interesting to find out about through the film yeah so here's your warning whatever i don't think there are any specific spoilers but if you don't want to there's a lot of like oh it's cool kind of details about the film that i think might be interesting to learn for the first time while watching the film. i think even if this is the type of film where even if we do talk about it it's probably still you really can still enjoy it yeah. yeah for sure i think so um, um, most people know what happened on the the mission but um you're right i think it is still like if we kind of omit some of the more i don't know unnecessary details it's like you either know what happened in apollo 13 or you don't and you'll probably get something extra out of this yeah exactly and i think that the film is obviously the historical things the films are all made knowing that everyone knows the ending in the same way as titanic's not a shit movie because everyone knows the boat's gonna fucking sink yeah (laughs) yeah um so the the amazing bit in apollo 13 that would be so fucking good (laughs) the entire titanic (laughs) movie was tonally structured around it Trying to, boom, trying boom. to give you the hardest sense of like, <laughs> is it going to happen or not? Boy, like slowly drifting towards the iceberg. Boom, boom. Captain, fear away. An hour and 40 minutes in and it hasn't <laughs> hit the iceberg yet. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> There's like, should we come up with some core characters or check in some romance? No, man, look at the ship. It's a disaster of the century. That Everyone's going to want to know if the ship sinks. Vastly better. Holy that would be fuck. fucking hysterical. <laughs> if James Cameron <laughs> arrogantly is like, no, no one's going to have heard of this. So fucking funny. <laughs> Just like 40 minutes in and like nothing <laughs> is wrong. Nothing's happened yet. Oh, the Titanic. Nothing's going to happen to us. Yeah. What are you going to do when you get to New York? In a week that we're going to survive, <laughs> fuck me. Um, so good. So the amazing thing on this, in this movie, is literally just the story and enjoying watching these characters wrangle through this problem. So the, yeah, and the not pop- just the story, but the the performance and, and everything on screen. Um, so what actually happens for all of you that don't know is that Apollo thirteen is this explosion, and they lose a whole bunch of functionality on the ship that's going to the moon and they realize pretty quickly oh we're going to have to abandon this we're not we don't have enough fuel and energy anymore left to actually make it to the moon and back we only maybe have enough energy to even get the spaceship back to earth without all of us dying in re-entry mm. um so they have to like radio down to nasa and work out how they can like macgyver their way through what they have on the ship to survive enough to go to go back to the yeah, Earth. so there, there's like two capsules. There's kind of the I'm gonna fuck this up, but there's the the landing or the lunar module, which they refer to as the LEM, and there's which like is the like command the thing that's module actually gonna go down onto the moon. So that's the thing that looks like the thing that you've seen on the moon. Yeah, and then there's a command module which looks like the thing that's stuck in the tip of the rocket. That kind of like big cylindrical, pointy at one end, and it has thing. like all the electronics and all the yeah. fucking like oxygen tanks and all yeah. the boosters and everything that like once. They've landed on the moon. The 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 lem launches back up off the moon and connects back with the control module, 
Which has control been module, orbiting around the moon, by the yeah. way. And the control module like boosts back to Earth and lands them. Yeah. Um, when do you think about... Uh, I know we said this for First Man, and I'm going to say it again. When it's you, stupid how amazing it is. When you process just how unbelievable mm. this shit was, yeah. it, it, it gives you... like I, You just understand why people do it. It, it frustrates me that... Like people don't find space to it anymore that much. Well, just we haven't done it in so fucking yeah. long. Like I think someone just this week, another country just this week landed on the moon. Uh, Israel um, okay. <laughs> just uh, crashed damn. on the moon, <laughs> but they've made it to the moon. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's such a bummer. But like, I really, oh, it's just amazing. Like, so the most amazing bit of the film in terms of like the fate of space travel is like. Um, <laughs> it's just watching so the way that they they launch the rocket it's all in pieces obviously and shit um, shit breaks away from the rocket the main boosters and all that as it gets out of the Earth's atmosphere and then you're left with the command module and this fucking landing module but because of the way it was all stacked in the rocket and because of the way that the lander needs to detach from the command module to land on the moon they literally have to detach the lander flip it 180 in space, yeah. manually piloting it because it's 1970. Yep. Flip it around and then re- reattach it. Attach it in space while flying towards the moon at thousands of kilometers per second or whatever the fuck it is they're going it's at. It's like yeah, it, yeah, it's like 30,000 feet a second or whatever the fuck. Stupidly Maybe stupidly like impressive. And then the fact that they know. can like have this thing that's just orbiting around the moon and they can launch the lander up and time it well enough to connect back with that? Yeah. Yeah. That's orbiting around the moon? Yep. Oh my god, it's doing, so cool. Th- what was amazing to me was like the inaccuracy of the measurements that they were dealing with. So they were going with like, they do a controlled burn at one point and it's like, you need to get the controlled burn because it's a human doing it. Yeah. You need to get it within like a tenth of a second. And that's literally just like letting off fuel um, and firing the spaceship up in one yeah, direction. Yeah, it's basically flicking a switch on for 39.8 seconds. <laughs> but if you do 39.9... You're fucked. Because they only have so much fuel, the spaceship's off on a wrong angle, and now you're drifting into space and you're going to die. Yeah. If you miss it, you don't get to go, like, you don't get to speed more to catch up with the fucking thing. Yeah. Like, you can make minor adjustments, but... Oh, yeah, so good. The, the, I think this is just as good as Gravity. I remember watching Gravity and having just as much fun and just as much suspense yeah. and, like, raw, like, oh my God, I have no fucking idea what's going to happen. What? Because I think that's one of the beauties of this sort of mission, of this sort of historical event, is that, like, we all know to some degree what happened. But, like, I don't know the names of the astronauts. I don't even know if any of the astronauts survived. Like, yeah. is it just Tom Hanks that's going to get there down the bottom with a shit-eating grin? And so there is some amount of stakes to it that's really good. Um the main fun part of the movie is that they so there's all these little problems they encounter along the way that they really did encounter in real life Uh, and one of them was that they realized that if they only they had to shut down like all the electronics on the whole ship because they only had so much power left and they had to conserve it so they could get back to earth and so they had to turn off all this like all the heaters and all like this life support shit and that they lost the ability to filter carbon dioxide yeah and so they realize, like, oh, it doesn't even matter if we work out some amazing way to get the spaceship back on into Earth. These dudes are going to die of carbon dioxide poisoning. Yeah, and they, and they had f- enough oxygen, but the proportion of carbon dioxide was getting too high. Yeah, and so the famous bit that makes this film... It, it's like the centerpiece of the film, and I think it's the most mm. famous bit about this, like, amazing feat of engineering that happened in space to try and get these people back was that they literally had a square carbon dioxide filter from one section of the ship. Yeah, the command module had square ones and the lunar module had round ones. <laughs> Which is just like, like <laughs> who the 
fucked as hard. Yeah, that. and like, <laughs> and there's literally a scene in the film where they're like, we have to figure out how to fit a square peg into a round hole using these materials, yeah. and it's a table with like all the shit that they have up in there on the space shape, and it's like a toothbrush and gaffer tape and, and Ed, some plastic Ed Harris, bags and who shit. Plays, um, who plays uh, the God figure in the Truman Show? <laughs> also plays the God figure in this, to kind of running everything at. Um, He's like the uh, director of the mission or whatever Houston. at NASA. Yeah. And he has this moment when someone's like, nah, the ones for the command module are square and the ones in the lunar module are round. He's like, you fucking kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Why? Yeah. And so you literally have a team of engineers that stay up all night trying to work out how to fit a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. And they Um, basically have to like kind of... the, the, The tough thing about that isn't that they can just like cut it off. It's like this stuff has to be flawless and it has to be completely functional, but they're only allowed to use materials that are on the ship... To yeah. kind of jury rig it, which is the tough thing. So they have to like cannibalize part of a, a space yeah. suit or whatever. It's to the point where they're like, "Do you still have the plastic bag that this came in? Great, don't fucking yeah. destroy don't that. Don't tear any piss bags because yeah. one of them's going to act as like an insulator. Yeah, it's really and really. They're cool. like, "Oh, how many pages does this manual have? Great, tear that manual up and use this page from the manual as like an insulating sheet. Oh man, so cool. One of my favorite things, which is like, which happened a, a few times in the movie, and I think is a really interesting like. I don't know, it's just a cool uh, aspect of it, of the real way that they did it, but also like a film filmic metaphor, is yeah. that when they're solving that, so there's a team, a massive team of engineers that need to solve the problem of the carbon filter. Yeah. And the way that they start is just by um, saying, okay, grab one of these, grab one of these, grab one of these, grab one of these, like grab 50 different objects, and then everyone come into this room and they just dump them on the table and they say, okay, we have to achieve this task with what we have on this table. And it's basically saying, this is their situation up there. We are recreating that as perfectly as we can down here and we have to solve this problem under the same constraints as they do so that we can tell them to do exactly the same thing up there. Yeah. Right? And they do it with the the module as well. So one of the the pilots didn't... um, a few days before the mission was supposed to go ahead, um, ended up getting like a, uh, it turned out that they had been exposed to measles and they weren't sure if they were going to, the infection was going to kind of sp- sprout at the, sprout, and sprout. So they pulled him off the mission and got a secondary backup yeah. guy to go in his place. Um, and he, uh, yeah, so he's grounded on earth, but he's also like, is a fully qualified astronaut pilot. And so he is, just as aware of what they need to do. So they get him in. And they have like a replica of the whole lander and the yeah. module and everything and in a, the warehouse. It's a perfectly working replica that's just not in space. Which is right? so smart and so lo-fi. So I clever. fucking yeah, love that. That's it's what like I really in like. the 1970s, the easiest way for them to figure this shit out was like, right, we'll just have a complete one-to-one replica yeah. with all the shit that they would have sitting there yep. so we don't even have to think about yeah, it. Yeah, and it's it's to the point where they need to figure out the most like power-efficient way to start the ship back up. And if they do it, they're trying to like cut stuff out of the sequence to, to try and save power and time. But if they do it uh, in, in certain ways, they can blow the circuits on the ship. So he just and sits so there with an ammeter, just flicking electronics on, yeah, on the ship, and being like, oh, that blew it. No, the one again. on Earth has the same electronics, exactly. So if it blows here, they know it's going to blow up in space. And I just really liked that it was kind of that, that they had to like... That they're, that they're recreating the situation down on Earth as, a, as an exact analogue. I think that's a really cool device in the film the way that they represent it is really cool cool. but it's also super cool that that's just how they solve the problem and it's you can't necessarily do that with like the 
you can't do that these days, but yeah. like it's different what they're doing. It's all the <sighs> yeah. satellite telemetry and stuff. It's exactly. not, it's just not the same. And it's okay, yeah, because you you would you'd be able to like monitor what's going on out there now, but mm. these days you can't. You just have to be like you have to tell them what to do, trust they're gonna do exactly that, and be like, right, well now that we know it's like this on the ground, you have to sort of keep track of what their uh, shit's like. I would imagine this is complete conjecture, but I would imagine that these days piloting piloting anything up to the ISS or whatever is, is basically the same as like flying a commercial jet. It's it's Again, like I don't know, but like yeah. I think the, I the can't imagine that they're leaving anything to human error. Well, like they're just yeah. remote controlling it and artificially controlling it as much as possible. So the amazing know. thing about astronauts, man, is on top of having to be like genius physicists slash mathematicians slash engineer people who can fi- like we saw in First Man where he had to figure out like ballistics type equations they on the back of an envelope shit on, this on one, the fly. Yeah. yeah, they have to be able to do that if anything goes wrong, and they have to be like athletically fit as so they have to be like the best of the best of the best they're like the smartest motherfucker and the fittest yeah, motherfucker yeah, in the room at any like, time I think it's cool that we're flinging some of the some of the best specimens physical yeah of humans up out into space and then you really get that emotion and that sense of, it's the same thing that sort of wells me up in war documentaries it's that sort of sense of human honor and like uh there's nothing like, honorable in war, mate. Bra- <laughs> like, like bravery, but then also like loyalty to each other that I really like in this as well. And it's what really, I think, like... Camaraderie as well. Like the um, the astronaut that was... Um, it was all, everyone's dreamed to go to the moon and he was really bitter that he was held back. Mm. The astronaut that's left to held back and sort of work out on the model version of the spaceship what, what they should do on the real one. Um, he like denies himself sleep and food and he could have a, like a really great torture example but he settles for the really shitty one because he goes no I want it to do exactly like it is up there and he doesn't sleep because they don't get to sleep yeah and and they're, they're awake shit. for like six days yeah. it's, it's fucking crazy the, yeah. the physical stuff and there's a lot of like no I'm gonna get these boys home man type shit that um Ed Harris um, there's a there's a lot of like Ed Harris being like I'm not gonna lose these guys and you still like yeah the sense of camaraderie yeah is really strong and I really I really dig that in a movie yeah um, I think it's neat it's, it's a good <laughs> it's a good team movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I also think that there was a lot of so there was a very similar feeling in terms of like family anxiety um, around space accidents and space travel that to what happened in First Man. I think that First Man and this film are a lot more similar than people. I mean, obviously, but like they're they're mm. they feel tonally a lot similar than people may think. And then I think they diverge in the most interesting ways that you'd want them to. For example, like First Man has a really interesting scene with a rocket launch where you don't see any of the outside of the rocket. You just see Neil Armstrong and his experience, and like any views of space, you see oh, like through, through a windows, window, like yeah. the astronauts would. Conversely, I think it's also very effective to just see exactly what you want to see with a space launch. Like this shows you the actual rocket flying through. Yeah. It shows you all the stages separating. It shows you like the outside of the spaceship and all the accidents that are happening, which is the most interesting bit for this because that's what everyone couldn't see during that. Right. That was the main mystery during this is people being like, we can't see outside the ship. We have no fucking idea what just blew up. Yeah. And I they think that to, like, summarizes it pretty later. well the difference between the two where like First Man is focusing on, on showing you... Neil Armstrong's journey as the first human being that ever stepped onto the moon. Yeah. But this is showing you the entire story that these people went through to have this thing happen and to handle that problem. Yeah, absolutely. And it's taking like a removed look at the problem. It's showing you in kind of an omniscient fashion what happened and um, bringing you along for the ride in a very like safe but enthralling way, which is really cool. Whereas First Man, it almost feels like if a a (laughs) thing comes off on the cabin... Like you're getting sucked out there with him, you know. Like, yeah. No, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's much more to say about this film. I really enjoyed it though, and I thought it was worth watching. I was kind of skeptical going into it because, like, 
it just seems like a blockbustery kind of film. But I think as much as it is a blockbustery kind of film, I think it's interesting enough and it's a subject that I'm personally passionate enough about that I think I really enjoyed watching it. I'll say this, Ron Howard, great director. Really good director. He's, he's very solidly reliable. In the same a, way as like, I feel like uh, I said... Steven Spielberg, his movies are always at least just fine. His movies are always very good. I think his Ron movies Howard is are definitely at least just fine. Yeah, <laughs> all of his old shit as well, like all the stuff from the eighties and seventies yeah. and that, brilliant. Yeah, Steven Spielberg, every Spielberg film you see, you're like, that's going to be a brilliant film. I think similarly, you see Ron Howard's <laughs> name on shit. Often it's good. Contentiously, he was the one that came on to finish off Solo. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, but who knows <laughs> what it was like brilliant. before he touched it? Yeah. Who knows? Um, exactly. I think that he also created. And is the narrator on every episode of Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. And he starred in Happy Days. He was one of the main characters in Happy Days for its whole run. Happy Days is that show with the Fonz on it. Yeah, okay. I've never seen any So he was, he was an actor and a child actor first and sort of got into directing sort of for a little while. I was like, you know, Ron Howard's a fucking director now? Mm. So he's like, and now he's like Kinda made like a name Macaulay for himself. Culkin or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw Cocoon, which was another Ron Howard film. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. No. We should have a look at that. We should do that? That's an interesting one. And he one. did Willow. I haven't seen Willow either. And that's apparently very good as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it. So, Cocoon is this movie about um, almost like first contact, um, but with elderly people that end up like... I, I, I would have seen it when I was like maybe eight or ten oh, or something that like old? that. Oh, it's that old? Yeah. It came out in 85. Oh, that's, that's a cool concept. And it it's like... It focuses predominantly on elderly people um, being healed by like getting in these baths that have like an like some sort of alien energy source or like medical service in it and so right. it's this combination of like um, yeah f- first contact ideas and um, uh, like kind of human biology but it's all through the this charming like 80s um, yeah. fantasy comedy drama lens which is and really cool it's a neat one <laughs> that sounds cool and not to not to make our listeners take another shot but he directed a fantastic Beatles documentary recently oh, yeah there you go <laughs> uh, recently okay yeah he did a one of all about the US tour and remastered all this footage that's never been seen but it was very exciting also his crowning achievement fucking How, <laughs> How the Grinch Stole Christmas which absolutely the, still holds up with Jim Carrey where's the, where's the Ron Howard Fuck, version of uh, the Sonic film huh maybe he'll be yeah. coming on to save it when it inevitably gets burnt to the ground most contentiously he also directed The Da Vinci Code which um, that might have been well directed The Da Vinci Code's a good book yeah uh, good book yeah i think i don't know i read it and i think i enjoyed it at the time but i read it when i was like 14 and i've heard yeah. like a lot of criticism of it so won't be revisiting oh, that probably one, not probably not a piece of literature but it's an entertaining book yeah i mean that's uh, for sure i don't know um uh, so i don't know just tying up i think yeah ron howard does like a, a really good job of of most shit or at least during this phase was doing a really good job of of the stuff that he was directing so yeah um, obviously, a bit of a a bit of a checkered recent kind of <laughs> recent filmography, but um, but I think at Book least ended by the cigarette burn that is <laughs> yeah. solo. At least on a Star Wars at story. least on this one, uh, he did a fucking great job. Um, I think so. So real cracker of a film. Yeah, just a, yeah. Uh, one of those one of the few ones where, as I said, I feel like the the way that he chose to make the film. Um, just the um, the way that all of the characters are represented, the events are represented is so, like, I don't mean this in a bad way for once, so vanilla that 
nothing is will be nothing was it, off about it. It doesn't get in the way of yeah, telling the exactly. story in the same way as like you're not going to notice. It doesn't draw attention away from it. Right, and this movie's twenty four years old. Yeah, and I at no point thought like, oh, that's such a fucking. 90s no. thing the s- there's none the of that s- the script is brilliant in the yeah. way that it just feels like it's just telling you a story even though I read bits about it that are not accurate to how things actually go down yeah like for example they, the astronauts have an argument on the space station or, or on the ship and the astronauts come out and say like no that, that would never that have happened happen, and we yeah. don't we, that doesn't happen we just sort of get the job done but yeah, yeah. I understand why those sorts of things were introduced for the purpose of narrative um, but brilliant it yeah. never gets in the way of just telling the story um Fucking great that um, Hayes, the astronaut portrayed by uh, Bill Paxton, yeah, has to look fucked the entire time <laughs> <laughs> because because it means that one of the survivors of the Apollo thirteen mission was like their entire memory. So it turns out they had a urinary tract infection, which then spread to their kidneys. So they had a full blown, like severe kidney infection for like most of the six days (laughs) in that they landed with it. They developed while they were up there. So like on top of just going through the most wretched fucking experience, (laughs) like the other two guys were having a bad enough time. They were freezing cold and starving and hadn't slept in six days. And this guy was like, Deliriously it, oh, fucking. He looked worse than Martin Sheen did in Apocalypse yeah, Now. <laughs> way worse. Yeah, and I, I just thought it's so. It sucks so much that like, um, fucking Jack Swigert and uh, and uh, Lovell, Lovell, Jim Lovell, the other the other two astronauts like have this life-changing experience. And almost like a heroic experience. They've actually been the furthest away from the Earth of any human beings because they did a slingshot maneuver around the moon to get back. And that's, uh, I think, beforehand, humans hadn't gone past the far side of the moon because it was at, or at at least it was further away from the Earth than the last time that they did that. So, like... They these three guys. I know they've orbited the moon before, so maybe. Yeah, but it was at the, the moon was at I can't remember the word. Whatever for it, it is, it was the further. moon was at the furthest part of its ellipsis right. away. So these guys have th- th- these three human beings have been the furthest away from the Earth that anyone ever has been. That's really cool. This dude had a fucking urinary tract infection. <laughs> he was just like whole time. He was just like my dick hurts <laughs> the whole time. That's fucking funny. <laughs> Poor dude looks like how I imagined you would look if your hangover had lasted ten. Just days. imagine that you're having one of the most <laughs> one of the most existentially like incomparable experiences <laughs> to any human being and on the planet. Got, like, the and, world, and your dick hurts. The world's bout of the world's worst bout of That's gastro so or funny. some shit. That's so <laughs> funny. This dude, uh yeah. Good yeah. shit. Looked like he was dying. Good shit, yeah. Um <laughs> Oh so man, I that was pretty, pretty funny. <laughs> I had just as much fun watching this space film as I did watching Gravity. I think this is up there with Gravity. Yep. Um, I think that in terms of like an arty, more holistic piece of film that's in the same vein, I think that Interstellar is better. I watched Interstellar again recently, and it's such a good movie. It's you better not be disagreeing. It's with great. It. Oh fuck you. Except, nah. if you rewatch the bit where like McConaughey's pulling on the strings in the Tesseract yeah, and like yeah, giving this, I, yeah, giving this like super. Come on, Murph. Come no, on, Murph. More the bit where he's like, um, "We left a message to ourselves." It's like, 
so fucking. 90s Spielberg. It it, it really no, didn't. I love that it movie. didn't age well. Like, I, I loved think, it too. I think it's one of my big, favorite movies. Me too. I think the only problem I have with that movie is the Anne Hathaway power of love bullshit. It was. It's the same thing. Like if you yeah. go back and watch it, those two scenes really don't hold up. No, they're just so cheesy, so cheesy. The rest of the film Other though, than is spectacular. That, fucking excellent. I um, really liked it, especially like all of the. Re- well, I mean, we just seen. It's quite a fitting week to be doing this. We've <laughs> just seen the first photo of a black hole ever, yeah. which is something that a lot of scientists Crazy. didn't think would we would get to for hundreds of years. Um, so that's kind of cool. It looks it's such a shit photo. <laughs> yeah, it's not even but in focus. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but it looks cool, and it's sort of like I don't know, seeing sitting there being just absolutely. I've got an SLR. Or, I don't know what kind of camera they've got. <laughs> being awe inspired by. Interstellar and the visuals of the black hole in that and seeing it just being like no one has ever really showed me something like this in the same way I'm Mm. absolutely blown away seeing that photo and I think the real value that I got out of it was like seeing it and being like okay this is a real photo of something that up close might look a lot like what I was looking at in the fucking theater yeah and you know interstellar they model all that shit based on like actual physics calculations a bunch of papers were published yeah yeah really Um, cool (laughs) the depressing thing about that is it's because movies get way more money than research Um, that's why they're able to do that shit um so i I mean i think obviously interstellar is a lot more modern it has i think it might have had a higher budget um and benefits from better special effects these days um so I feel like if you had some sort of way of adjusting for the inflation of special effects quality, <laughs> yeah. um, those these two films might be on par, if that's fair to Interstellar say. Interstellar in this. Interstellar in this. Um, this yeah. movie, it did feel a lot smaller because it's about a true story and it's made in 1995 um, when, I don't know, think of what video games came out in 1995. Like, we didn't we didn't do comedic graphics that uh, well Final back Fantasy, then. Final uh... Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this is Two, very good. I, think, I can't anyway. think of I can't think of what this might be better than. <laughs> no, but I thought this is very good. I think I I I I only saw Gravity once in the theater and uh, in the cinema, and I think I, I I feel like I enjoyed this a lot more. And it, I I don't yeah. know if that's because retrospectively I saw Interstellar very soon afterwards and thought Interstellar is a vastly better movie than Gravity. I think they came out at like very similar times. Yeah, and Gravity was- to me felt in the same way as Avatar. Where Avatar is like, oh, it's a good film to watch at the movies mm. because of the spectacle on the big screen. I feel like similarly, Gravity, I've always associated with that kind of film, where it's like, oh, you got to see it on the big screen, otherwise, don't worry about it. I think so. Gravity I think this was holds gravity up was on any screen. For a disaster movie in space, and I never felt like I, I never felt like space was really given a strong personality in that movie, as I felt like it has been in other films, and actually, like, kind of as I felt in this. But it, even if even if not. The fact that this oriented itself around a real disaster event was yeah. way more engaging. No, okay, I agree. We're going to go with the official beef, the official beef station better than worse than is better than Gravity. Yep, worse than Interstellar. Yeah, also worse than First Man. I think like First Man just had. Has I think the benefit I think it's not a fair. Years I think it's not a fair comparison. I think yeah. First Man isn't really. Uh, <laughs> stay with me here. I don't think it's really a space movie. Like it is, I get what you're but saying. I don't think yeah. it's a disastery, thrillery. Space I don't know some movie. of the way that, like when you know the fucking like if when if, um, if Neil Armstrong was a race car driver, that could have been the same film. You know what I mean? No, when he steps out, like the swapping to swapping to digital film, when he steps out on the moon, and like there were some incredible moments in First. Yeah, Man. but what I mean is, you could have the cinematog- cinematographic and dramatic moments. Like if Neil Armstrong was, 
I don't know if he was a World War One fighter pilot. I mean, it wear, could be the same all film. All of what you're listing wears helmets, <laughs> but uh, there's Neil Armstrong was a cyclist. I think it was really. Um, <laughs> I think there were really unique things in First Man, but as I said, I think it's just because it's it's made a quarter of a century later, they've learned a lot. I'm not having so. that in my better than worse than mate. All right, well, <laughs> I reckon depending on which day you catch me on, um, Interstellar, First Man, and this could all easily have been like top of the charts. So yeah, they're mm. all great for slightly different. I had reasons. good fun with this. If you've never gone in on it, it's available for like five four dollars on yeah. uh, Google Play. Uh, you can rent it for exactly about the price of a cup of coffee. You can rent this film. Absolutely worth it. Once again, shout out to online rental services. I am. Thank a you, big Apple, fan. for making me a happier person. Mm. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another week. I think it's about all the time we've got left yeah. on this week's episode of Beef Station. If you want to email us, if you've got a suggestion, we've got some films coming up in the cinema that we want to see. But yeah. if you've got any suggestions for episodes, uh, once the cinemas start to quieten down a bit, if you've got any old films you want us to cover on the show, uh, you can email us at beefstationpod at gmail.com. You can come and join our Facebook page. We're on Facebook. Uh, dot com slash beefstationpod or just search beefstation on Facebook and you'll find us come and like the show and we'll keep you up to date with all the new episodes thanks for joining us for another week on Beef Station I'm Oscar and see you later I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery I don't want to live my life again I don't wanna be buried in a bed cemetery